Uh, thank you guys for sharing this weekend with us. Um, let me say this as we jump into it. So as kind and loving and as encouraging and affirming as you guys were to us last weekend when we shared, you know, kind of what we felt like God was calling us toward and what that meant for everything here, um, as kind and, and wonderful as you guys were, last weekend was really hard, right? It was um, sad and it was surprising and it was just no fun. And um, I don't want that for this weekend. Like, I don't want that for our last weekend here. And so I would love to, to have time this last time. You guys are the last service. If I start getting a little sloppy, I apologize ahead of time, okay? Like tears and stuff, snot, all that stuff, okay? So I apologize ahead of time. Um, but what I would really love is just to have a great time of celebration this morning and remember what God has done and celebrate what God has done over the last four, four and a half years. And so it's okay to smile, it's okay to laugh, it's okay uh, to joke with me and mess with me um, like a normal week, right? <laughs> glare off my head, whatever it is, like it's all fine um, to do that. So I would just love to just share some fun time with you guys and celebrate. So um, uh, I've thought a lot about what I wanted to share with you guys this weekend. And you know, it's kind of different things that I guess we could do. We could reminisce and remember some of the really cool things over the last years that God has done. And, um, and But I think we have a little slideshow at the very end, like when everybody's walking around and stuff, that will be some pictures of some of that stuff. And so I, di I didn't want to do that. And what area kind of settled was I wanted to just share with you guys some things that over the years have been real important to me here that I feel like God has rubbed into my heart that I've been trying to rub into your guys' hearts that um, I think have been honoring and pleasing to him and uh, challenging to all of us. And so I, I made a list of stuff and I don't know, there's probably 20 things on the list. I thought that ain't gonna work. So I went to John, I'm like, can I just have an hour this last week to preach one time? He's like, no, I'm like, whatever. So no, that didn't happen. But anyway, so I thought, okay, I need to, I need to whittle this down a little bit. And so I, I settled on seven, eight things that I just wanna share with you guys this weekend. Um, one last time to challenge you to to really consider living these things out in your life. And so, um, so that's what I wanna do. And I, I wish that we could like sit down, I could sit down one-on-one -on -one or you know, with your family or whatever and just like have this conversation across the table. And of course, that doesn't work, but that would be the feel that I would love with this. And so I'm gonna sit, you guys are sitting and, um, and we'll just talk for a while. So uh, seven, eight things here that I wanna share with you. And I'll just, I'll just jump into it if you don't mind. With the first one, the first thing I want to share is is really foundational to everything else, and probably something that I've talked about more than anything here at the campus. Uh, and it's this: Am I doing that? Sorry if I am. Uh, it's this: You are loved by God. Is that better? Nope. <laughs> Fortunately, the last service went well, so we'll have that one online. So we'll be okay with this one. Anyway, so the first thing is that you're loved by God. Um, we've talked about that so many times here at the campus. I think one of the things that the church at large, the church in general, um, maybe the most hurtful thing that we've done in our world, whether it's intentional or probably mostly unintentional, 
is to make people think that God's love for them is conditional. You know, if you just do this, if you just do that, if you read this every day, if you follow this perfectly with your life, uh, then God will love you. And if you don't, then he won't, or he'll love you less. And I thought, you know, maybe the first thing that I wanted to share with you guys um, one last time is that God could not love you more than what he loves you right now. No matter where you've been, no matter what your life has been like, no matter what your morning has been like, God could not love you more than what he loves you right now, and he will never love you less. And you think about that, and you think, how does that make you feel? You know, like when you think about a God that looks at you that way, he knows every part of you, he knows every mistake, every bad decision you've made, every secret that you've kept, and he looks at you, and he loves you, and he longs to be with you. And I think about that, and I think it makes me feel like I want to be with that God too, right? And it doesn't mean that our actions don't matter. It doesn't mean our actions are meaningless. Like how we live and act matters to God. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care about sin. God hates sin and our sin is like a barrier. It separates us from him. It doesn't even mean that because he loves us, one day in the end, everyone will go to heaven. It actually doesn't mean that. That's not true either. Like the Bible is so clear that we have to say yes to him. We have to trust him. We have to, to turn our lives over to him and make him the focus, the most important thing about our lives. So it doesn't mean any of those things. What it means is that God loves you and God wants nothing more in your life than for you and me to let him in, to say yes to him and allow him, allow him to rescue us. And so I was, uh, with all of these, there's, like all these things I think are, are biblical and there's been little passages in scripture that have come to mind as I've thought about each of these things and what, what jumps to my mind, this one's probably the most famous passage in, in the entire Bible, it's John 3.16 and so it may be familiar but I, I hope it's still profound to you. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You think about that you're like, God so loves the world. The world, by the way, is not like the earth, the planet. The world is the people. That's what it means in this context. God so loves the world. God so loves us that he sent Jesus to die for us so that you and I could be saved. And I, I guess I wanted to remind you, if you've been here for very long, you've heard that dozens and dozens of times, but it's absolutely true. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God loves you more than you and I can imagine. And so that's the first thing I wanted to share with you. Um, the second thing is this. Um, this one's a little longer. God's word, which is the Bible, is like the lifeblood for our souls that will transform your life if you allow it to. God's word, so the Bible, is like the lifeblood for our souls and it will absolutely transform your life and my life if you allow it to. It's cool this past week, um, just, you know, at the beginning of the new year, I was just in social media reading some stuff, looking at things, and it was cool to see some of you had posted that you had read through the Bible this past year, you know, or you were really close to reading through the Bible. Uh, some of you for the very first time, cover to cover in 2018, and what a neat experience that was for you. And then others of you, you know, talking about how you're making that commitment in 2019, this year in 2019, you're going to read the Bible 
for the very first time. And I thought that's so cool. Like for me personally, that's been something I think of, of I, th- I think this is safe to say, of everything that has grown me in my life as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, the thing that's grown me the most is the commitment to be in this. And I try to do it daily. I, I've read through the Bible uh, each year for a long time now. It just, it's, it, the, the kind of regimen of it is healthy for me. The discipline of it is good for me. But I don't think there's been anything else that has grown me and changed me more than that. Like there's just something about um, spending time in God's word. And I was thinking like um, metaphorically um, how, to, how to like get this to stick with us. And for whatever reason, blood came to mind. I know that's disgusting and gory and all of that, but um, I, I was thinking about like what blood is like for our bodies. And so any human or animal in order for it to live, in order for it to survive, has to have blood, right? Like it has to have blood in our bodies. If you don't have blood, blood is essential to life, right? If you don't have blood, then um, you're not alive anymore, right? You're, you're dead. And I would say it's much the same way with God's word for us as Christians. So if you'd sit here this morning and you'd identify yourself as a Christian, this is like the lifeblood for us, right? Like having, having God's word, the Bible, a part of our lives, it's, 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 essential to keeping our faith alive, right? Our Christian life alive. And if we neglect it, if we stay away from it, what will happen is our faith will shrivel up and die. Just like a body without blood dies, right? It's the same thing without God's word in our life. And what will happen invariably, this is what happens, other competing uh, worldviews or philosophies or ideologies start to become more important to us than God. I guess this is what happens when we neglect this. Think about all of the other things that influence you in your life, like all of the different media and information and stimuli that you and I take in every day. Think about books that we read or movies we watch or newscasts or blogs or podcasts or conversations with coworkers or classmates or what you see in Hollywood or sports entertainment. All of that stuff influences us right? Like we are inundated with these things all of the time and they start to shape our thinking. They start to shape our values. As you think about all of those things in your life, think about this. Like how much are you and I allowing this to shape our thinking? How much are we allowing this to shape our values? How much are we allowing God's word to transform us and direct us and lead us in our lives? And there's just something powerful mystic even that God does inside of us through his word like it penetrates our heart in ways that are that are like indescribable I was reminded of Hebrews 4 12 it says for the word of God think about this the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart like there's just something about what God's word, when we make it a priority in our life to focus, to learn, to allow him to speak to us that way, it just does something um, beautiful and mystical inside of us. It penetrates deep within our hearts. And there's no clearer way for you or me to know who God is, right? Like, what, here's what happens. If we neglect it, we, we start to make God who we want him to be. Right? Like how many people have you heard say, well, I think God's this way. I think God loves this. I think God's this. 
And you go, well, that, that doesn't make sense. I don't make God who he is. God is who he is regardless of whether I recognize it or believe it or not, right? The Bible shows us who he is. If you sit here this morning and you're like, I wonder what God is like. I wonder what he loves. I wonder what he hates. I wonder what he expects, what he's done, what he's going to do. It's not a secret. It's right here, right? Psalm 119, 105, it's a, it's a verse It's pretty familiar to some of us. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And you think about that, maybe probably all of us in our lives, um, we need the way lit for us. <laughs> we need to know the way to go. We need wisdom in those things. And that's part of what God's word does for us. It directs us. It shows us the way that God wants us to go. So the second thing I wanted to, to just stress to you guys is don't forget the power of God's word in your life. Don't neglect it. It's like the lifeblood in our bodies. The third thing, and this kind of goes along with it, I said this, I said prayer is what keeps the lifeblood flowing in the Christian life. Prayer is what keeps the lifeblood flowing in the Christian life. So I just said every animal, human and animals, you need blood in order to survive. But you don't just need blood. We got some hunters in here. You, you hunt, you shoot something, you kill it. I don't think you hunt this way. It's more like, more like this way, right? <laughs> that was my gangster hunting right there. Anyway. <laughs> you hunt something and you kill it, it's still got the blood in it, but why does it die? Well, it dies because the blood's not flowing in it anymore. It's not pumping in it anymore. Like, not only do we need blood in our bodies in order to survive, but we also need flow, the blood flow in our life to survive. And I think if God's word is like the lifeblood for us, prayer is like the heart that pumps it throughout our bodies. It pumps the truth of God's word to our mind, to our soul, to our spirit. Because we don't read the Bible like we read something else. You know, like you could pick up a magazine and you could read an article and you can learn something and you go, I'm a little smarter now. I got a little bit more information in my head. And you set it down and you go about with your life. This is different. Like we read God's word and the power of God's word is we start to talk to God about it. And we go, God, what does it look like? Your word, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What, is it, what does that mean in my life? Like, in what ways am I not making your word a priority? In what ways do I need to have you illumine the way for me through your word? Like, we talk to him about this. This is what prayer does. It, like, pumps God's word through us so that we live it out in our lives. And prayer really helps us get to know God, to get to know who he is. And prayer, of course, we talk to him. We listen to him. We spend time with him. We're in a relationship with him. And so clearly, I understand who he is through this, but then we interact through his word, just like, just through prayer, excuse me, just like any other relationship, right? There is no relationship unless you interact with the other person. And so I can say, this is my wife, Marcia, up here, I can say that Marcia is the most important thing to me. Man, I love her so much. She's so special. There is no one I would rather be with in my life than Marcia. But then if I walk out of here and I never talk to her, and I never spend time with her, and we never interact with each other, I don't listen to her, how much could that previous statement actually be true? How important could she really be to me? If I could do all of those things, but I choose not to, how... Like, how much do I really love her? How important is she really to me, right? Or if the only time that I talk to her is me asking her for things or me asking her to do things, 
what would our relationship be like then? Probably not real good, right? Not real healthy. And you think, apply those things to our relationship with God. Apply those things to our prayer time with God. Like if my time with God, if I say, man, I love God with everything I've got, but I don't really talk to him if I'm honest. Or if I do talk to him, it's mostly me asking him for things. Well, something's wrong with that relationship, right? Like that's not a healthy relationship. Something's out of whack there. I was reading, it reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, this, is, this is like one of those real provocative statements in the Bible. So this is Jesus talking. He says, not every, this is verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Jesus, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Lord, didn't we do all of this stuff for you? And Jesus responds, he says, I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, prayer is essential for us in getting to know Jesus. I've said this a lot of times, not just know about him, but know him. There's a difference there. I could know a lot of things about people and not really know people, have no relationship with them. Knowing them and knowing about them is different. Prayer is like this deep, meaningful, dependent interaction with the God of the universe, who we already said loves us unconditionally, knows everything about us and loves us completely, right? And he wants to teach us truth and what's important, and he promises to transform us from the inside out through a relationship with him. And so let me ask you, because I ask myself this a lot, like what does your prayer life look like? You know, how, how often do you enjoy time with God? Do you, do you enjoy time with God? You know, or do we see it as, oh, I know I should do this. I feel guilty. I, like how often do you just enjoy being with your Father in heaven? Who, who do you go to when you're struggling? I was... I could just be honest with you, um, struggling with this this week, I was, you know, this is hard for us, and we feel it, and I had an afternoon this week where I was just struggling, and I'm embarrassed to say my first thought was, I need to, I want to go talk to somebody, it doesn't matter who, I want to go talk to somebody, they'll, maybe they'll make me feel better, and then my immediate next thought was, no, knucklehead, <laughs> go talk to God, like, why don't you talk to God? He's the one that can make you feel better. He's the one that can give you perspective. He's the one that can settle your heart in a way that no one else can, right? Who do you go to when you struggle? Who do you go to when you're excited about something? Who do you thank when you've been blessed by something or someone? Who do you go to when you're confused about something and you need understanding? Like God longs to spend time with us. How much do we make it a priority to spend time with him, right? And so just like blood and flow bring life to our physical bodies, I think God's word and prayer bring life to our spiritual selves, right? Our life in Christ. So that's the third thing. Here's the fourth thing. Be real and transparent. Be real and transparent. Admit your faults. Admit your failures. Admit your shortcomings. Don't act like your life is perfect. It's not you know it, we know it. Just better if we would all humbly admit that, right? And then trust that God will 
grow us and change us, right? But being honest and real and transparent about things, I think is so important for us as Christians. I, I, I think many Christians keep secrets that we shouldn't be keeping, right? Like we have these things about us that we don't want other people to know for whatever reason. Maybe we're embarrassed by them. Maybe it's a, a sin, a habitual sin that we just continue to struggle and struggle and struggle with. And we're like, I don't want anybody to know. You know, I don't want to look bad or I don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable. I don't want to talk. So we keep it a secret. Maybe it's a shameful experience that you've had in your life that you are embarrassed by. It brings you shame and you don't want anybody to know that. You don't want to talk about it. And so you keep it a secret. Maybe it's just a, a kind of a prideful thing. But secrets like that, they poison our souls. They poison us. And what it does is it keeps us from ever healing. It keeps us from ever really processing through those things and overcoming them. There's just, there's something beautiful about being real and transparent and admitting our shortcomings and confessing our sins and our secrets to God and then to other people as well. The Bible talks about both. It's not just talking to God, although that's incredibly important. It says in Psalm 32, 5, it says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, he's talking to God, and did not cover up my iniquity. Iniquity is another word for sin. I said, I'll confess my transgressions or sins to the Lord, and you forgave my guilt. Maybe this morning you have this secret and you feel guilty. I talk to the Lord. Can all, you know what confession means? All confession means is to come into agreement with. That's what it means. And so when we confess to the Lord, we're coming into agreement with him with stuff that he already knows, right? He knows everything about us. It's just us admitting it, right? And then there's power in confessing these things with other people too. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Like there's this healing that comes when I have this secret in my life and I talk to somebody about it. I let the cat out of the bag. There's something healing about that that happens inside of our souls. You know, one of the things that was surprised, I don't know, surprising and felt really good is um, some of the conversations. Probably the thing that people have thanked uh, me for the most is is this, is being real and transparent from up here, from on the stage with people. Like it's, it's been surprising to me, I guess, how many people have said, thank you so much for um, not acting like your life is perfect, you know, like you have everything together, like you always make good decisions, that you don't struggle, that you don't sin. I said there's, there's something about that that's made me feel more free to be able to talk about to like to be real as well and admit these things and confess these things to God and other people and I think that's that's a great compliment to me because that's part of my value system that's something very important is that we're real and honest with each other and there's something attractive about that with other people right like it's the opposite of what we think we think that people would be more attracted to us if we got it all together and we're perfect and we do things just right, then more people will want to be with us. But it's, it's exactly the opposite of that. When, when we humbly admit our shortcomings and our failures and our baggage and all of that stuff, there's something that's super attractive to people about that, right? 
And it also helps attract other people to God when they see that in us. And so when I can be honest about my shortcomings and my failures, and you can, but then quickly we go, and you know what? And God loves me in spite of it. Like we already talked about it. God loves me unconditionally, even though he knows all of the stuff. There's something about that that when other people hear that, they go, I want to know God that way. I want to get to know this God who doesn't stand in judgment over you for your weaknesses and shortcomings that you already feel terrible about, but he loves you in spite of those things. And so there's something about being real and transparent that just is good and healthy for us. And so I want to challenge you with that one last time. The, the next thing, the fifth thing, uh, kind of goes, kind of follows right along after that. And it's Jesus is the key. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the key to like everything, right? Okay, if I could be um, one last time as clear as possible as I could be with you, the, the reason that we are accepted by God in spite of our baggage, in spite of our failures, our shortcomings and sins, is because Jesus was perfect for us, right? Jesus is the key. He gave his life to take the wrath and the punishment that you and I deserve. And his sacrifice is only applied to us when you and I see our need for him, right? Like it's not automatic. It's not an automatic thing. You and I have to see our need for Jesus and through faith say yes to him as the only viable option for our souls, not, not as one option among many. Like when you read this, one of the things that's absolutely clear is that Jesus claims to be the only way. He claims to be the key for us to experience all the things that you and I want to experience. Salvation, transformation, peace, hope, rest, all of those things. Jesus says in John 14, 6, so this is him talking. He says, I am the way, not a way, not one of many ways. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Like, I don't know how we could be more clear about that. A little bit later, Peter, one of Jesus' earliest uh, apostles, disciples, followers, says in, in Acts 4, he says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And you read that and you're like, I, I think it's pretty clear. Whether we believe it or not, whether you agree with it or not, I think God and God's word is so clear that like Jesus, it's either him or it's not him, right? And so I think about that and I think like, in your life, what are you struggling with? And don't answer out loud, just think in your heart. Like, what are you struggling with? Whatever it is, Jesus is the answer. Like, whatever it is, Jesus is the key. Maybe this morning you're struggling with self-worth and you feel beat up and you feel like God made a mistake with you. The answer to feeling differently is to know that you are loved by God so much that he sent Jesus for you. Jesus is the answer. He loves you. He made you exactly the way he wanted you to be. Maybe this morning you're struggling to find your purpose. Jesus is the answer. He's got plans for you. He's got specific things and people in your life that he made you to interact with and do, right? Maybe this morning you go, I'm struggling with fear. Jesus is the answer. 
He gives courage in a way that nothing else in this world can give us courage. Maybe this morning you're struggling with forgiveness. You know, somebody's hurt you. They've done terrible things to you. And you know in your mind you should forgive them. But in your heart you're struggling with that. Jesus is the answer. Maybe this morning you're struggling to find happiness and joy. And you feel like life has just beat you up. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer and the key not only to salvation, but every struggle that we have, every, pro- everything, every problem that's ailing our lives. And I think I look like, I look at my life and I think he is, he's been my answer. <laughs> he's changed me. Think back, if you sit here this morning and you're a Christian, think about what your life was like before. Like think about what your life could be like now apart from Jesus. I look at my life, I think he's changed me. I'm so far from perfect, but what he's rescued me from, what he's changed me with is incredible. The peace that I have, the joy that I have, even when there's sadness and pain like what we're experiencing right now, there's a joy and that all comes from Jesus. Jesus is the answer, whatever it is that you're struggling with. Jesus is the key. Let me give you the sixth thing because it kind of goes along with it. Live to make Jesus make sense. Live to make Jesus make sense. So this is, if you've been at Grace Church for very long, these are our values that we put in frames along the sides. These are eight things that, uh, as a church, are really, really important to us. And the one that's like the foundational value of all of them is this one here. We live to make Jesus make sense. Let me read you a passage that probably a lot of you are familiar with. Um, But I want to read it because this is the mission that Jesus left us on. So he's talking, this is after he's died on the cross and he's resurrected and he's talking to his disciples and he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Like Jesus' mission to us is to go tell people about him, help people understand who he is, to help him make sense so that people can come to him, so that people can follow him. And I look at our world and I think there is so much confusion on who Jesus is. What I just explained about how Jesus is the key and who he is, there are so many people in our world for whatever reason, maybe it's the shortcoming of the church, maybe it's just all of the competing philosophies and worldviews, I don't know. But there is so much confusion on who Jesus is. One of the things that we say at all the campuses at Grace Church, I love this, is we want to do everything we can to make the gospel, which is all about Jesus, clear and accessible to people, right? Because there is so much um, convolution, right? There's, There's a lack of clarity. And we're like, we want to make it clear so that people can at least know, do I believe this? Do I trust him? Do I want him to lead my life or not? And we want to make it accessible. So much of what we do at Grace Church, any of the campuses, is like trying to make what this says about Jesus accessible to people. And so we don't use like big theological terms that no one understands or or church terminology that if you grew up in the church makes sense. If you didn't, it's like, you know, you're speaking a foreign language. We want to make the truth accessible to people. Can you imagine how our world would change if we would just like take that on and we go, you know, I want to live to make Jesus make sense. I, I am going to help make the good news about Jesus clear to people. And I'm going to make it accessible to people. 
Like this is the foundational value that I love at Grace Church. And I was thinking about, you know, the last four and a half years, <clears throat> excuse me, and some of my greatest memories, some of the greatest stories that I remember are the times when like the lights came on for people and all of a sudden Jesus made sense and they go, wait a minute, what, what have I been living my life for? I don't want to live for what I've been living for. I want to live for Jesus. And, you know, often that's symbolized through baptism. That's why baptisms are, like, so emotional for many of us. I think about these stories of people whose lives are changed, and they're like, and their eternities are changed. And then to think that I had some small part in that, like, there's nothing more fulfilling and satisfying for us and, and, here's, and here's the thing, that's not just like a pastor thing, right? Like in order to help make Jesus make sense, so many of you have done that in each other's lives and family members and co-workers' lives. You don't have to be a pastor to make Jesus make sense to people or a Bible scholar or a theologian or a perfect Christian. All you need to do is be close with Jesus, like have a relationship with him and love people. And if we do that, man, God will use us in incredible ways. And so I challenge you, the question that I ask myself, like, is this what I'm living for? Is this what you're living for? Do you live to make Jesus make sense? It, that question intuits that we understand who Jesus is. He makes sense to us. We gotta, it's gotta make, he's got to make sense to us before we can help him make sense to other people. But is this what drives your life? You know, I... I want to help people get it. I want to help people experience the peace and hope and transformation that I've experienced through Jesus. I got two more. Here's a seventh one. It's short, but I got to explain it. Be the church. Be the church. Be the church. So you guys know, we probably know better than most churches that the church isn't a building, right? Like we know that because we didn't have a building for a long time when we launched, right? We did set up and tear down, we met at a school, and like we can meet anywhere, the church can meet anywhere. But here's what I know, long before we had a building, the church was being built, right? Long before we started doing any services, when I remember when, I don't know, 20, 25 of us, probably at least six months before we launched, got together and started praying for the Barberton community and the leaders and that God would like bring people and that he would build his church and the church was being built. Before we launched any services, we did grace groups. We did our small groups. It was like four months before we launched and the church was being built. How do I know the church is being built? Because the church is us, right? The church isn't a building. The church is the people. We are the ecclesia. That's the, the Bible word for it. All it means is the called out ones you and I are the ones that God has called out to and said, come follow me. And we've said, yes, that's the church. And so the church is people that love Jesus. The church is the people that follow him. He's our leader. And so we live our lives being the church. We live our life the way that our leader lived his life, the way Jesus lived his life. That's what the church does, right? And so as I say, be the church, what do I mean by that? Well, look at the way Jesus lived his life. What did Jesus do? First thing I think of when I think of Jesus, what did he do? I think, man, Jesus loved people, didn't he? Like you, read, you just read the Gospels and you're like, this guy absolutely adored people. And if he's our leader, what does that say for us to do? 
love people, right? Even when it's hard, even when it's inconvenient, even when they're acting kind of unlovely, we still love people. Even people that are different than us. This was going to be another one, a separate thing that I wanted to share with you. I, we don't have time for it, but just like one of the things that we prayed for from the very beginning for this campus is diversity, differences, that we wouldn't be like this monolith, this all one big like-minded group of people, but we'd, be, we'd have a variety. And in so many ways, it's exactly what God has done. And I challenge you, like value those differences, value that diversity. Diversity and differences can either frustrate us that we see in other people, or it can make us better. We can learn from those things. I look at Jesus and I'm like, man, he loved people, even people that were different than him. And so we love people. Being the church, you look at Jesus, he lived on mission. He lived on a mission to help people come into right relationship with the Father, right? And so we do that too. I just got done talking about that. We live to make Jesus make sense. That's part of being the church. You look at Jesus' life and he spent significant time with his disciples, enjoy, teaching them, enjoying with uh, life with them, serving with them. And so part of us being the church is we spend time together, right? I, another one of our values is we share life together. I love that one. I just love that, that phrase. Like it's a beautiful way of thinking about it. Like we're, we're sharing life. We're enjoying time together. We're a staple in each other's lives. We're consistent. We're faithful. We're dependable. We're encouraging each other. You look at Jesus, he spent his life serving, right? And the Bible says he came to serve, not to be served. The God of the universe came to serve and not be served and to actually give his life for us. And so we look at that and we go, okay, being his church means we serve other people. We give our lives away for other people. We live generously for other people, sacrificially for other people, not focused on ourselves, but on those around us. That's part of being the church. And then I'd look at Jesus and I'd say, and, and this always, just always speaks to me, like he's fully God, right? And yet you read the Gospels and you see how much time Jesus broke away from everything going on to spend time with his Father, right? And so as his followers, as part of his church, we do the same thing. We spend time with him. We seek God. And we, we get the chance to seek not just the Father God, but the Father, Son, Holy Spirit God. And so I challenge you, like, be the church, you know? Do these things. Love people the way that Jesus loves people. Live on mission together. Enjoy meeting together, serving one another, seeking God with everything that you've got. Being a city on the hill, right? A light in the darkness. Be the church. Let me give you, let me give you one more. I gotta be quick. I'm officially in the red here. <clears throat> Don't get too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. So what God is doing right now in, uh, in, in our life as a family and in the life of this campus is, is actually not atypical. Like this is, this is often what God does. God often moves us and stretches us and calls us to step out in ways that are surprising to us, that are unexpected to us and uncomfortable for us. But he has a reason in doing that. And his reason is to grow us and mature us and develop us as his followers. 
And so I know that right now is a bit of an uncomfortable time for all of us. We know that the decision that Marcia and I and our family is making that we feel like as, as best we understand God, we feel like God is calling us to, we realize that it makes things uncomfortable for everyone here in our absence. We realize that. And it also makes us uncomfortable because we love you and we don't want to leave. This has been amazing and we don't want to leave. And yet, um, we also know that in time, things will get easier, right? Things will get more normal and things will get more comfortable. And I want to challenge you, don't get too comfortable for too long. Don't get too comfortable for too, sometimes comfort's what we need in the moment, right? Like maybe life has been hard, we've been struggling and we need a respite, we need, we need a time of comfort. But too much comfort is not good for us. Too much comfort is the enemy of growth. Say that again. Because maybe some of you need to think about that. Too much comfort is the enemy of growth. When we're too comfortable, we stagnate. We stand still. And then we don't stand still for too long. We actually move backwards. We regress. We atrophy. That's what happens. And so stretching ourselves and making ourselves uncomfortable and stepping out and taking the risks that God is calling us to is incredibly important for each of us. I assume that you're here this morning. If you sit here and you're a Christian this morning, I assume you're here because you want to grow. Like you want to mature as a follower of Jesus. You want to become more like him. You don't want to just stand still. You don't want to go backwards. You're not here because you know, I'm supposed to be here. I assume you're here because you want to grow. In order for us to grow, we have to be stretched. We have to be made a little uncomfortable. And so I challenge you, as things settle, and they will, and things become more normal, things become a little easier, and they will, don't get too comfortable. Listen to the Lord. Listen to the ways that he's calling you to step out and serve him and be the church. I thought that um, it would be appropriate to end with a passage, reading a passage of scripture to you guys that I was thinking about this this week. Um, before we launched, actually when we were doing a financial campaign at the Norton campus to raise funds to be able to launch the campus, um, I shot a video, and in this video I talked about a passage of scripture that God had just put on my heart, just kind of... Um, inspired me and motivated me and it drove a lot of my prayers and um, I was looking back over it this week and I thought I think I want to I think the last thing that I say up here is uh, to reiterate what I said when we launched this campus and so I want to read this to you and I want this to be my prayer for us so it's in Matthew 9 verse 35 it says Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And so this was my prayer 
for our campus before we launched out. And it's my prayer now for the next chapter of this campus because the harvest is still plentiful in Barberton, right? There's still lots of work that needs to be done. There's still a great need for more workers. Uh, Marsha and I and our family have uh, been reassigned, if you will, to a different part of the harvest field. But the work here continues because it was never based on me, right? It's based on Jesus. And so the work here goes on. And I suspect that it's going to go on in greater and more powerful ways than what we've seen up to this point. And so here's how I want to end our time, is I want to pray this passage, this, these verses over you in three ways. First one is I want to pray for your next shepherd. I want to pray for the next campus pastor, that God would just be real clear to him that he's calling him here to this part of the harvest field, and that uh, he would know soon and quickly and that he would be an incredible blessing to you guys, uh, as you, I'm sure, will be a blessing to him as well. So I want to pray for him. The second thing is I want to pray for each of you. I want to pray that uh, you would be workers in the harvest field of, of people's souls, that God would make it really clear the work that he's calling each of you to do, and that he would give you the courage to step out and to do those, to make yourselves uncomfortable and to do those things. And then third, I want to pray for uh, the workers that are coming, those that, that aren't here yet, those that aren't part of the campus, but the people that God is going to use you in their lives to help make Jesus make sense. And he's going to draw them, first of all, to his son. And they're going to say yes to him. And they're going to get saved. And then they're going to be part of the work here and growing and growing and growing his kingdom. And so I want to end by just praying for you guys that way. Before I do, I want to um, thank you one last time for your uh, goodness to us, your kindness to our family, for allowing us to be part of your lives. I, I don't remember what services I shared this at last weekend, but this has been the best years of our life up to this point is being with you guys and the relationships that the Lord has allowed us to build here with you have been the deepest, most impactful relationships in our lives as well. And so we're very sad to go and yet we're going to go where God is calling us to go and he's going to take care of us and he's going to take care of you. Um, but I want to thank you for allowing our family into your lives and to serve you and to serve alongside of you. Um, it's been a great blessing to us. So, I'm going to pray.